0: The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, center, and source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Well, today it's fitting, right, that our message tonight is when all hope is gone. What happens when all hope is gone? And this week has been a week that has felt um, so surprisingly um, hopeless, (laughs) except for Jesus, this week has seemed so dark and so painful and um i felt like jesus has ordered the timing even for what we're what we're sharing about beautiful picture and this is one of my favorite ones well i say that every week but this is one of the ones as we were talking over the different characters in this store in this picture mary the one front and center and then her sister kind of hiding behind Uh, mary magdalene with her head down in the brown and then Uh, Mary the wife of Clopas on the end and so as we as we have been studying this week it helped me so much to see them kind of in the in the darkness looking up into the face of Jesus I want us to really get into the word tonight, and I'm going to divide it into four sections. Chapter 19, we're going to go through it and just read through, and we're going to talk. We're going to read through a few verses and then talk about it and then read through a few more verses. As I read, here's what I want you to think about. Where was this located, each part of this story? What's the location for each part of this story? Um, who is Who were the actors involved? Who were who the people that are named in Chapter 19? And then what are the names of Jesus that are that are um, spoken in chapter 19? We're going to start with John 19, verse one through seven. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to Jesus and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing you out that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold, the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him out yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him. We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. All right, so I want you to think about location. This is where the trial would have taken place um, in Pilate's Praetorium and probably up on the dais where you can see where it's elevated, he would have, um, Pilate would have sat and um, and then Jesus would have been here. So this was kind of the area where it took place. And then I want you to think about um, the people that are involved in this. We have Pilate, we have the soldiers, we have the Jewish high priest and Pharisees or officers. Um, and then look at the names of Jesus that are listed here. King of the Jews. And then behold the man and then son of God. And none of these are said, all of these are said by his enemies, right? Or Pilate. But um, but they are all actually, we'll find throughout this chapter, the names of Jesus spoken out over and over again, even by his enemies. Um, I think John is very intentional in that. Okay, so this is the first part. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. Remember the sixth hour? And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they shouted away with him, away with him. And he said, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. All right. So I want to say this, um, which I think is very interesting. We've seen this many times in John is that the women I mean many times in our stories is that there are power plays taking place in the book of John there are power plays and we've seen three power plays John 8 John 11 and now John 19. Now the thing about it is there are more power plays than this taking place but one thing I want us to see tonight is we're not when we think of Jesus on the cross we think of our own personal redemption story but actually Jesus was caught up he was a man caught he was caught up in the historical um, power plays of his time so the first power play was in john 8 remember the pharisees catch the woman and they bring her to jesus and they use moses's law to try to trap jesus right they're trying to accomplish their purposes and they're trying to trap jesus and they're using her it's a power play we see this also in john 11 the um, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and immediately the Pharisees say, uh-oh, this is going to get us in trouble with the Romans. And so what will we do? Well, we will crucify, we'll kill Jesus so that we don't get in trouble with the Romans. And you find uh, whether they're going back to the historical, this is this is our way of doing things, or whether they're looking to political power, there is a sense of who is going to win the power struggle here. And then in this chapter, John 19, we have this situation. We have Jesus and Pilate in a conversation, and Pilate's saying, No, he's innocent. Let him go. And the Jews and the chief priests are saying, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We don't want to, We do not want this man, um, and we do not want to lose our power. And so who do they appeal to? They appeal to Caesar. So you have Caesar stuck into the middle. These are historical things that are happening not only with Israel, but with Rome and the larger Roman Empire. So Jesus is being caught in the middle of it. And I think that's what we're seeing right now is taking place. I was listening to one someone who said, um, that's exactly what's happening in the Middle East. It's not just between Israel and Hamas. It's between all of the Middle East. And who has the power in the Middle East? Is it Iran? Is it Saudi Arabia? Is it Israel? Is it the United States? Is it China? It, how and all of those all of those countries are making a bid to have control over the Middle East. That's exactly what happened um, within Jesus's day. There were all these powers trying to have control and Jesus found himself caught. Sometimes I think we have to remember that this story of the cross is bigger, right? Bigger than our own personal salvation. It included the entire Roman Empire, which was the heart and the hub of the entire world. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Now, I think this is real. This passage is really, really interesting. Here's the place of the skull. So this is where he was crucified. But um, in this passage, three times, Jesus, king of the Jews, Jesus, king of the Jews. Jesus king of the Jews. And if we know anything about John we know that any of those repetitions that he actually puts into the text are in order to in order to make the make it clear this is this is Jesus he's king, right? And that is the whole issue is Jesus king. Is he king of a people? Is he king of us individually? Is he king? And um will we acknowledge him to be king? And it is really beautiful and interesting to me that he wants to be king of us individually, but he also wants to be king of us together, right? And there's something that happens when as a group of people acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Jesus as king. And um and I think I think um I think what he's trying to do is put our faith in a wider context, in a context that includes um groups of people, maybe even nations of people. That's what God wants to do. So here's here's the place where this, where he he um where they took him to be crucified and then I want us I'm going to read this and I want us to stop and think about Mary when the soldiers had crucified Jesus they took his garments and divided them into four parts one part for each soldier and also his tunic the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom so they said to one another let us not tear it but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be And this was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. And then look at, look at this. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus. And for, for right now, I want us to just say, standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. I want us to stop for a minute because, um, if you look at the other crucifixion stories, you find the trial before Pilate, and then you find Jesus being led, being led up to Golgotha. And it's really interesting because I want you to think of Mary, Jesus's mama, you know, she was standing outside the praetorium and she was not allowed inside while the trial was going on, but she could hear. And she could hear, she could hear what was happening. She could hear the the shouting. She could hear the crucify, crucify, crucify. And uh, she was present. And then she was part of the group that, that walked up the hill behind Jesus as he carried his cross. She saw that he had been beaten. She saw that he had, was bleeding. She saw that he struggled to carry the cross. It's really interesting. And it was a little bit chilling to me as I read Luke 23, 28 through 31. Daughters of Jerusalem, they were were following behind him and weeping. And he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. And then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? I thought that was pretty fitting for today. And Jesus said there there are days that there are days to come where you will see um, things your eyes can't even believe. And we are living through those days. Um, He says it to the mothers. So Mary follows him up the hill. And she watches her son. I have two sons. So this Mary's story has taken on two meaning. I have two adult sons, 19 and 23. As I've watched my sons, this has taken on new meaning for me, but they nailed him to the cross. Um, And she watched. We don't have any record of speaking words, but she watched. And then this part seems the most horrifying to me after they crucified him after he's hanging on the cross they take his garments and they're dividing him up and they're ripping him down the middle and they're i'm sure they're shouting like i'll take this one you take that one yeah here's one you want this one you want that one and his mother is watching and she's hearing she's close and it's not actually that big of a space right she's close and then he gets to the 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 robe and maybe she made it for him right Let's not tear that one. It's too nice. Let's gamble for it. And there's something about that part of the scene for a mother's heart that I can only imagine was the most painful because of the sneering and the mocking and taking what belonged to him and destroying it. And I love how John writes the paragraph, the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross was Mary. we're going to come back to the other women but i want us to think about mary because here's what i think she stood by and watched all of this she stood by um and watched the whole story she watched them sneering mocking blaspheming and luke talks about this and goes through all these different words of what exactly was taking place um people just observing people sneering people mocking. The, the one on, on the left-hand side, um, blaspheming. And then the one on the right, the, the thief on the right-hand side was the only one who said, Lord, have mercy on me. She watched all of it. I love this little picture, right? where like she holds her baby. And you know what I was thinking as any mother, any mother, what was going through her mind? You know, what she was thinking about in this moment. Right? She was thinking about the angel and the message. this this baby here to bear is going to be the son of God she was thinking about running to Elizabeth and sharing the good news and singing the Magnificat she was thinking about Joseph in this moment she was thinking about the long trip to Bethlehem the inn that had no room the shepherds that proclaimed him the wise men that brought their gifts she was thinking about their flight to Egypt the death of the children She was thinking about returning to Galilee, the trip to the temple, losing Jesus, not knowing where he was. And then she was thinking about that wedding feast where she said, I think it's time for you to do something. And then I didn't put this, but she was probably thinking about the time she goes to him and says, I think it's time for you to come home. And he said, no, I can't do it. I believe going through Mary's mind were all, all those moments because, because she's a mother. And because she knew, she knew she had God's promise to her about her son. And she had no way to understand what was taking place. What I love about Mary is she determined that the very last face he would see would be hers. And I don't know, only I think the strength of a mama's love and the strength of the heavenly father said, I will enable that woman To walk up the hill and to watch it all and to say, Jesus, the last face you see will be my face. It has become so moving to me that her strength in suffering and her strength when all hope was gone for Mary. And um, that all hope was gone. And yet she said, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to stand here in love and you will die with my face in your sight. Do you know, I think that's what love does. I think that's what love does. I think love is present. Love says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk the hard places with you. When I'm disappointed, when I don't understand, I am with you it means we do that with other people it also means we do that with jesus jesus i am with you in this i do not understand it but i am with you and then i think there's jesus i'm going to i'm going to be face to face with you even though i can't understand it i don't know if you have any situations in your life i know we do on a global scale i don't know if you have any situations in your life that you say i don't understand i can't make sense out of it it's more painful than anything i could have ever imagined I'm disappointed with God, with life, with everything. Jesus, I'm going to stand face to face with you. Jesus, I'm going to make eye contact with you as much as we can. And with other people, as we walk with them through painful situations, I'm, we're going to make eye contact with you. And we're going to let you know we see you. Jesus, we see you. And then for the others in our lives that we're walking with and suffering, you're seen. we're together. You're not alone. Love lingers. Love lingers. It doesn't always have to speak. In fact, she doesn't speak a word. This whole story, she doesn't say stop to the soldiers. She doesn't she just is there, present. Love is determined. I love that. She was going to be there no matter what. And I think with Jesus and with those God has given us, that is what he's asking. Is there's? I think he gives us strength to the love that says, I'm in. I'm in no matter what. And do you know what? I think with Jesus, there comes a point we say, Jesus, I'm in no matter what. And if I have to die without understanding, I'm in. I'm yours. I love you. But I think also... With husbands or children or family members that they're difficult, there come times in our lives where we just say, we're all in. I was just recently, I was reading and I was in a some a situation, I couldn't understand it. And I was getting frustrated with certain people. I was like, oh my word. And I was all agitated and I woke up and I read my daily light and it was a friend loves at all times. And I thought I I laughed because it was so simple. I was like, oh, I don't have to make this more complicated than it is. There is a strength to just keep on loving at all times, right? I'm in and I'm in and I'm in and I'm in. Whether I understand or not, I'm in. I think some of our people need to know we're in. We're in all the way. We're in with them. Love lingers. Love is determined. I found this in my own life with medical diagnosis when all of a sudden you have to say you know what i want the witness of my life to be love the witness of my life to be love no matter what happens and um i think when we when we do that it creates a safety for other people love enables strength isn't that funny that as we love there's a strengthening that comes i think it's like as if god the father says i see you I'm going to pour in my strength to enable you to continue caregiving, to enable you to continue loving the wayward child, praying for the husband who doesn't know me, praying for this part of the world or this community. I'm going to give you strength because I see your heart of love. And here's the things I don't think love does. Love doesn't self-protect. Now, I'm sure people said to her, Mary, I don't think you should go up there. (laughs) Mary, I don't think this is for you. I am sure her four other sons said, Mom, uh uh-uh, this is not the way you should be. And she said, oh, no, no, I have to be there. I'm sure they would have said, you know, it's not the best for your mental health for you to see this. But love is determined. Love does not hide. Love watches, love waits, love bears. And love bears even if, no matter what, all the way. And it doesn't put any qualifiers on it. She didn't put any qualifiers on it. She didn't know the resurrection was coming. She didn't know how God was going to end this story, but she knew she loved her son and she was determined. I think women have the most unusual strength, God-given strength to say, we're going to love our people all the way to the end. And I think in the same way, he gives us strength to say to Jesus, I'm going to love you all the way to the end. <laughs> and when we do that, I think there comes a strength and a grace and a joy and a hope poured out. And we I don't even think we can understand it. She's going to stay there with him. But here's the big thing about this story. She's not by herself. She's not by herself, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. I love this so much because. Her sister was there. Can you just imagine what if, it had, what if you've been Mary's sister? <laughs> like, what if your sister was like, holy cow, an angel came to me and I'm going to have a baby. Like what if you had walked this whole life with Mary? I just can't even imagine. I just giggle when I think about it because I think Mary's sister had really a lot. She had to navigate <laughs> and she did. And we don't really know about Mary's sister, but here she is at the cross, standing there with her sister, holding her tight, Probably saying, you can do this, Mary, stand, stand, you can do this. She was Jesus's aunt. She had a deep and abiding love for Jesus. She wasn't going to miss him. She wasn't going to miss him now Mary the wife of Clopas we don't know exactly some some in the early church believed that Clopas was Joseph's brother so Mary the wife of Clopas could have been a sister-in-law to Mary we don't know she could have also been the wife of Cleopas on the road up to Emmaus we don't know exactly who she is this is the only time she's mentioned but we know that she um we know she So, whether she was part of the extended family, she was the wife of Clopas and she was here, she was here with these other women. Her husband wasn't here, Oh, at least we have no record of him. In fact, we have no record of any men who love Jesus here, except John. If you look at it, the chief priests are here, the Pharisees the Jews, the observers. The Romans, Pilate, in this chapter, there is only mention of one disciple until the very end. And then you have two sneaking in at the end. But so far, only one disciple, John. And then Mary Magdalene. Okay, now here's what I love. I think this is so fascinating to me. Every woman is described in terms of her relationships because we're made for each other. We're made for and it's out of those relationships that we find our life. Papa would always say, "Right, we we don't find our life inside ourselves. We find our life in relationship to one another. Not just those who we're physically related to, but the, our friends and the the other the other people we do life with. We we find ourselves in relationship to other people. And uh, so Mary is Jesus's mother. Um, Mary is Mary. Um, then Mary has a sister, right? And Mary is the other Mary is a wife of Clopas. So we have a mother, a sister, and a wife. And then we have Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is all alone. She's not defined or determined in terms of any other relationship. Here is the most beautiful thing the only person that we know that Mary Magdalene had is Jesus. And I want to say, Mary Magdalene is in every story. She's the first one to see him. And she gets such a long passage in John where every description is given about their encounter. And I just want to say, if you are all alone, if you don't have anyone else, I just want to say you're in a really, really good position for Jesus to meet you first, to, for Jesus to meet you deepest, for Jesus to call you by name. He doesn't appear to his mother first. He doesn't appear to his auntie though she probably wanted him to. <laughs> she doesn't appear to family. She doesn't appear to the one who is a little more wealthy. He appears to the neediest and the loneliest. And she becomes his his witness to the world. She's given she not not only does he appear to her first, she becomes his witness um and and actually, she becomes the witness to all the resurrection. They said, what is the proof of the resurrection? That the first woman he appears to is a woman. And it's <laughs> Mary Magdalene, right? That would have never been the case in Jewish, in Jewish history or in anyone trying to prove his resurrection. So Mary Magdalene, who you see in this picture, bowed down with grief, right? The only one who loves her is gone. And there she is wrapped up in the arms of these other three women. I love this picture. I think the beautiful thing is when Jesus calls us to stand in suffering, he does not call us to stand alone. And that is the whole point of Titus women, right? that we are women who stand with other women in love for Jesus, drawing other women in, helping other women go forward. And when we need help, leaning on other women as we go forward together, there is a power when women stand together in love for Jesus. And I believe this with all my heart. And this picture captures it, I think, so much. When we look at each other, and when we look at ourselves, we run into all kinds of problems. But when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and we have linked arms together, there is a strength, and it may be the strongest strength in the world. I believe it with all my heart, because I believe it's where the love, it's where the love comes. Love for families, love for children, love that envelops other people. And uh, there's no competition. <laughs> it's just... Eyes on Jesus, arms linked together. And this is one thing I think is so beautiful that as we look, not only were they related to one another, not only were they related to family members, each one had a relationship with Jesus. And it was eyes on him that then enabled them to stand there and be together. Hey, listen, think about our, the women we've encountered, right? Uh, they stood together. In John, In John, he's encountered six women individually right? His mother first, and then the woman at the well, and then the woman caught in adultery, then Martha and Mary, and though they were sisters, he met them separately. And now he encounters four together. And I think, I I just think it's so perfect that they come together at this moment. Encountering Jesus together in suffering, encountering Jesus together when evil threatens, encountering Jesus together when hope is lost. And for us, the beautiful thing is hope is never lost. We don't ever have to live through this darkness because however dark our circumstances, we know we know the resurrection, right? We know about the living water. We know that there is life and life eternal. Um, but these women um, lead the way in showing us what it is to encounter him together. And this is what I thought as I was thinking about this. Here's what they did. They weren't really that, um, they didn't really do anything that amazing, right? <laughs> they they came to Jesus. They loved him. They were where he was. They showed up. They showed up together and they stood together. And sometimes we don't have words. I think these are days when I don't have very many words. I don't know what to say. I don't know I don't even know how to pray into the crisis that's happening in the Middle East. And now, as I said on the prayer call, right now we're all living on two fronts. Part of our heart is in the Middle East, and part of our heart is handling the very busy, stressful situations maybe we find ourselves in. And so now we're women who are divided. There's a sorrow in our heart. We don't always know how to bear it. And uh, sometimes, I think Jesus says, all you have to do is stand. Stand. Don't you, this is, he made me think of, um, he brought to my mind Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take on the, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand. And having done all, to stand. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know what the best battle plan is. To be honest, we don't even have to pray our way through it. He does want us to pray without ceasing. But what we really have to do is love Jesus and stand. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak I love this because I love that in the midst of all all the forces of heaven and earth right coming against one what do we do we stand we put on his armor and we stand and um I think I think the women at the cross are the best witness of that and then I love Jesus because what does he do when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby? He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then to the disciple, he said, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Now, here's what I want us to say. The last action of Jesus before he dies is to take care of his mama. The last action that he does before death is to take care of the one who loved him and gave her life so he could live. And do you know what I think Jesus wants to say to us? I will take care of my own no matter what, right? He was hanging on the cross, blood dripping down in excruciating pain. And he said, oh, I'm not going to go until I take care of the one who has loved me and given herself to me. Do you believe he's going to take care of you no matter what your circumstances? Do you believe in the tender, loving kindness of God to take care of you no matter what? Because even in his, the deepest part of his suffering, he was taking care of his mama. And I think that anyone who loves him and stands with him and gives herself to him can count on his care, can count on his provision, can count on his love. He's not going to leave us. It's not like he was going to die and not acknowledge his mama. It was not like he was going to say, well... I just have to get through this. No, he was on the watch for her and he was looking at her and he was saying, I'll make sure you're covered. And do you know what? He didn't send her to one of his brother's houses. They didn't believe in Jesus. He knew she wouldn't feel safe with them. He put her in a place where she was safe with someone who loved him as much as she did, right? John the apostle. And as he was standing there, he said, this one, he'll take good care of you, mama. (laughs) don't worry he'll take good care of you and both of you will love me and I love it because I think the last action that Jesus does is to take care of us and sometimes in these days we can be afraid oh I have to take care of myself oh no he's not going to come through oh no I'll be there I'll be strong I'll pray for the world I'll do all the things and he says I'm going to take care of you don't worry I'm going to take care of you I'm going to take care of all that concerns you. I will put you in a safe place. Remember Psalm 12? I will set her in the safety for which she yearns. And can you imagine his mama walking home with John? John probably tucked her in bed or his little wifey tucked her in bed and said, it's okay, mama, you're here. You're with us. You're safe. This beautiful sense of Jesus saying, I'm going to take care of everyone who's in my family. And I think we need to claim it. Like Psalm 23, he will take care of us. We can trust him. I think we need to claim it and pray it over the Christians as well. Jesus, you take care of them. You protect them. You take care of your own. We want to count. We can count on your provision. And we don't want to be people who are like, oh, no, is Jesus going to come through? Oh, no. Say, oh, no, he will. One of my sweetest family stories is with my daddy. In 2007, my daddy had a massive heart attack. In fact, he was, um, they had to stop the the ambulance and, and uh, give him life or do the shocks to get him to come back. And they worked on my daddy between four and 11 minutes. And they said, uh, he was kind of at the very limit of coming back after your heart stops. And in fact, I have had the ambulance, the, the ambulance, the EMTs come and say to me, that was a miracle night. Your daddy should not have come back. His heart had stopped and it was stopped for too long for it to make any sense to come, for him to come back. Well, he, when we got to the hospital, they did emergency surgery and then he was unconscious and he didn't wake up and he didn't wake up. And for, for two or three days, he didn't wake up. And then he started to wake up and he was confused and he, he couldn't remember anything that had happened. And we were all He was in the ICU and we would go one by one in to be with him. And when he was just kind of coming to, he said, now cricket, he couldn't, he really couldn't remember what had happened. He said, now cricket, I sense that some are feeling a sense of danger. And I said, yes, daddy, we are feeling a sense of danger. And he said, well, Cricket, is anyone keeping a record of God's faithfulness? And you know what? It's become one of my favorite lines. Is anyone keeping a record here? God's good. And if I look at my daddy's life and the testimony in my life, it's God is good, Cricket. He's going to take care of you. Just like an earthly father is going to take care of you, a heavenly father is going to take care of you. So we made little pictures of all the girls in the family, right? With his God's faithfulness. He's taking care of us no matter what. We want to keep a record of his faithfulness in these days for us personally, as well as his faithfulness in a larger way. We don't want to forget that he's faithful and that he's good. and He takes care of us. But then I want to tell you, I want us to look at the larger picture. Um, I want us to look at the larger picture of what redemption means at this point. What does the atonement mean? Because he's he's talking to his mother and he's looking at these four women. I'm sure he's loving them, right? And looking at them. But something else bigger is happening. And in order to understand the atonement, what does the cross even mean? There are seven theories of the atonement um everything from he sets a good example to us to he conquers evil in the world to he makes a substitute for our sin and all of them are beautiful but the church has never been able to say yes that is the doctrine of the atonement it's like it's too big nobody can wrap their mind around it but i have found in john the pictures that he's given us in these stories make the most beautiful picture of the atonement and this is what happens right um If we look at all the pictures of Jesus and the names of Jesus we've studied, when we get to the cross, this is what happens. The bridegroom is betrayed. The giver of living water gets thirsty. The bread of life is consumed. The light of the world burns out. The door to life closes as the father turns his face away from his son. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep the resurrection life faces death and the one worshiped becomes the one who is buried but here's what i want to here's what i want to say the beauty of the atonement is that god said The beauty of the atonement is that God said, uh, and I was reading um, a DM Bailey on the atonement, and he said, when we think about the cross, we, we think about the love of God for the world. We think John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. We don't get hopeless. We don't think this is the end of all things. All of a sudden, we think, oh, how much God loves us. And you know, remember we were talking about the Chalcedonian Creed? Remember that wedding of heaven and earth, God and humanity and the person of Jesus? And in the cross, we see that full identification with us. He's known betrayal. He knows thirst. He knows what it is to be eaten alive, for the light to go dark, right? He knows all the things. And as the darkness and the betrayal and the thirst enter into his body, they meet the life of God. And when they meet the life of God, something beautiful, redemptive starts to happen. And you know what? It's not like the cross was an accident. It's it's as if the father planned all this so that there would be in the cross, Jesus, all of this is in the heart of God. All of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of the brokenness of the whole world in the person of Jesus and when he takes it into himself, what happens? Life begins to come. Not immediately. He enters all the way into the burial, right? But then, but then that is not the end of the story. But we want to pause long enough at the cross to recognize how deep into the heart of God our atonement went and how much it meant. That this was not an easy this is not an easy i forgive you it was a all it was a uh, full identification with us in every way and kind of the completion of i have entered into every part of human existence the existential loneliness the pain the hurt the animosity the hostility i have entered into all of it and i in me in jesus it will all be made new. It is in the body of Jesus that our new life begins. And that is that beautiful thing that makes our physical body so important, right? We're made in his image. And then he's made in our image, right? And uh, and as he's made a human person, then the life of God begins to live again in a human person. And so all of it becomes so, so important. And I think for God to love the world that he gave his son to experience it all so that we could know so that our world could be recreated. I think it's become so beautiful to me, especially in terms of these pictures, because the bridegroom is going to come for his bride, right? We know revelation. And we know that the living water is going to flow and the bread of life we still take partake in every week in our churches. And the light of the world is going to shine. And the door is not only going to come open, it's going to come wide open. And then the good shepherd is going to take care of not only the sheep of this flock, but the sheep of the whole world. And the resurrection and the life, Right is for eternal life that we would know the Father, and then the one who is buried is the one then who will um, live forever and ever. So as he takes our life into himself and all the pain of the world into himself, that's when that comes. What were the, what is the last words that Jesus said to his mother? Woman, behold your son. Now here's the truth about this story. In one way, he meant John. This this bo- this this boy will be your son and will take care of you. But in another way, I think he was saying as he hung there, the the very <laughs> the God Man who is her son hanging there, saying, "Woman, behold your son." Do you know what? Do you know what happens? I think this is the heart of the atonement. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has caused to meet in the body of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He doesn't carry it on top of himself. It he, It's inside himself. And do you know what I think he was saying to you is mom, mama, this is it. This is my hour. And I think she looked back and remembered these words, behold your son. And I was looking back at John 19 and in this chapter three times, it says this about Jesus. Pilate says to the Jews, behold the man, which I think is so important. The man, behold your king, Pilate says to the Jews. And then the last words he says to his mother are, woman, behold your son. As a man, Jesus inhabits time and space, and he redeems them by inhabiting them. (laughs) He created them. We live inside of him, and then he steps into our time and space, and he redeems it. Jesus as king, he conquers death, and he rules over all that exists. He comes as king, and Jesus as son He becomes the way we meet the father. And I believe that moment when Jesus says to Mary, behold, your son, he not only was taking care of her. He was also saying, mom, this is what this was what it was all about, that the whole world might know me. The cross, more than any other event, made men think of the love of God, that God gave loved us enough to give us his son so that in him the whole world could be made whole and that's what John 3:16 says right he loved the whole world so that he gave his son I love this picture of the cross down here there's a fishing boat and men and there's kind of the idea not only of the Sea of Galilee but all of the world that he is the cross stands over and in Jesus the cross we are, and we are remade, made new. And all of our hope is because of this. And so I was thinking, Jesus, how do you want me to end tonight? And he said, Okay, Cricket, here's what I want I want you to tell him that my heart is beating, that I'm not still on the cross, the victory's already been won and my heart is beating, and my heart is beating for the whole world. In him, we stand together. In him, we stand in suffering. In him, we stand in love. And in him, we stand for the redemption of the whole world. I want us to close in prayer tonight. But as I was praying about tonight, you know, I feel like it's kind of an act of defiance against the evil and the hate and the hurt in the world that we just meet together in his name and declare the name of Jesus. So this week as we as we pray, as we watch the news, as we carry our own situations, let's just be conscious that we do so as daughters of the king, as lovers of Jesus, as women who stand stand by the, by the, by the cross. We stand together and we stand knowing there's an empty tomb and um, he's going to win. And we, and we are um, holding steady and holding on until he does. So let me close us in prayer tonight. Jesus, we stand in defiance of all the hate in the world. We stand under the cross of Jesus Christ who took all the hate into himself and in his body brought our redemption and the reconciliation of the world and the recreation of the world is in the body of Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge you tonight, Jesus, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over all that is. And we declare you, Lord, over our own selves, our own hearts. We we bend the knee. We stand with you, Jesus, and we love you. And we declare you, Lord, over our families, over every child and niece and nephew, over every everyone that we are associated with over everyone that we work with, we declare that Jesus is Lord over our communities, our institutions, our, our schools, Jesus, over our government, we declare the name of Jesus over our world, over the nation, over Europe, over North America, over South America, over Africa, over Asia, over Australia, and over the Middle East. We declare that Jesus is Lord and that you will win, not because, not because you ride in and conquer by force and power, but because you have already won on the cross. And we worship you. We thank you that you've shown us the heart of the Father and the heart of the Father is love. So would you let us be women of love this week? Would you love us? And would you give us the strength to stand even when all strength is gone? Would you pour your strength into us? Thank you that this is not by might or by power, it's not by wisdom, it's not by understanding, it is by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.